What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to New Stripe City and the Orange is a New Black podcast. I'm your host, Ace Boogie, joined by my co-host, Zim. Zim, say what's up. Hello, world. How y'all doing this evening? I feel really, really good. This is this is just an amazing thing that's happening to us, and I just want to thank God for this opportunity. And I'm here, and we are here. The people are here with none other than Hugh Jackson. How you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic, and what an honor to be with you two young men. It is exciting. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, yes, we're sir. glad to be in your presence for sure. So first and foremost, just off the back, like I, I know pre-interview, we were just saying, hey, like, how you doing? Like, what are you up to? What are you doing these days? Like, take us through a normal day of Hugh Jackson at this current moment. Well, I can't give you a normal day because it's all unnormal. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm a little bit everywhere. I, I'm down at Fox sometimes in L.A. I'm in Arizona. I'm in Miami. I'm in Cincinnati. Uh, I've been a lot of different places doing a lot of different things. Um, I have a tequila brand going as well. I have a foundation that I'm involved in and uh, just trying to stay busy until I can get back to football. Boy, I want to get on the grass so bad. It is killing me. For real. Oh we got to get you back, yeah, man. After all that, you look, y'all can go take the tequila brand. Y'all can go do the Fox work. Go do all of that. Let me get back on the grass and do what I do. Hey, look, I know Ace got asked the first question. I don't want to forget this. 
before every game, I take a, a shot of another tequila brand as a ritual. I would love <laughs> to take a shot of your tequila brand, you like for life. You absolutely right, you would. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because it's 100% USDA organic tequila. Oh wow! Don't panic. Okay. It's organic, and we got them all. We got Blanco, Silver, Resposado, and Anejo, and we got an extra Anejo that's coming out soon. Yes, tell, sir, tell, tell everybody the people. Tell I mean, tell them the name. It's called Grand Leyenda. G-R-A-N-D-L-E-Y-E-N-D-A. It stands for Grand Legend, Satoya Family. Um, a good, my partner, he had bought into the brand. He brought me in with him, and we're doing some big things. Matter of fact, we're partnered with the Black Hole um, and the Breakers. And so uh, we're doing some good things. We're scaling it like you wouldn't believe. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. Uh, so one thing that a lot of Bengals fans always wondered about, we heard about this A.J. McCarron trade. And we heard that it was a trade that never really ended up happening. Like, can you let people know exactly what went down? Because we get bits and pieces, but you were you were there and you knew exactly what happened. What was your aspect of that? Ace Boogie and Zim, shit, y'all probably know more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Be told. Uh, obviously, it didn't happen the way I thought it was, and obviously, you know, I, I heard it was a timing issue. Uh, whatever it was, uh, I was disappointed because of my relationship with AJ. I know right. what AJ could do. I know he would come there and help the Browns organization get to winning. Right. Uh, very talented player and leader and person. So when you combine all those things with his winning mentality from Alabama, with his winning mentality with us at the Bengals, I thought he could come in and help. And uh, we just didn't get it done. No, I definitely agree with that. Like I, I told a lot of Browns fans, I was like, don't sleep on AJ McCarron because AJ McCarron almost won a playoff game in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. You know, you said, and people don't get that, you know, people don't understand he, he's a winner. I mean, he won national championships at Alabama. He won some big games for us in Cincinnati. And I think uh, it's like anything, the more you play, the more you surround players with the right people, the better they become. So I, right. I think uh, he's in Houston. He's backing up a really good player, but I'm glad that he's still in the league and having an opportunity. Facts, facts. We can't hear you, Zim. Nah, I'm sorry. I'm I'm trying to brand new headset. This is this is a special occasion. All right, <laughs> I think I got it straight. Um, but just going back to the McCarron thing, like, what are your views? Like, how do you feel about that season when you when you look at that 2015 season and you look at the way that it ended with McCarron? Like, how how do you feel? To, walk us through. How did you feel walking it, going out to that game? How did what was the what was the confidence level going into that game? I think we, we thought we could beat anybody, any place, anytime at that particular point in time. But that being said, I, I think the fans would remember AJ was injured. He had some ribs uh, that were issue. Um, he practiced during the week, but not as much. But he did everything he could to be out there. You're talking about a warrior. That's what this guy was. And he wasn't going to miss this opportunity to go win a, a playoff game. Uh, didn't play as well early in the game, but boy, started right. plays in the second half. Uh, that touchdown pass to A.J. Green. I mean, that is a backyard fight between the Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's just what that was. And we had a chance to put that thing away. And just unfortunate that the fumble happened and then all the other shenanigans that went on. But at the end of the day, I thought this young man, his value rose that night because he put the team in a position to win. And if anything across the National Football League, regardless of what people thought, you had to look at him as having the potential to win in your organization. And uh, I still feel that way about him today. 
No facts. So you talked about quarterbacks and the potential to win. There also was another quarterback by the name of Carson Palmer that you somehow, I still don't know how to this day you got Mike Brown to trade that man. But from your perspective, like obviously I know what you were doing because you wanted to get a good quarterback in there. You were familiar with Carson and the Raiders were on the rise at that moment. What did you do to like convince Mike Brown to come up off of it? Because he's a he's a tough guy to convince and you were able to do it. He is, but Mike Brown's also failed, you know, and uh, I think he knew that probably Carson wasn't going to come back. You know, why not get something for him? Uh, he was allowing him to come to somebody that that Mike knew and Carson knew. So, and it was out of the division, you know, and so I think all those things you add together. And I think Mike wanted to see me do well, you right. know, so, and I have to be very honest. It wasn't me that did the trade. Mark Brown, uh, Mike, uh, Mark Brown. Uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Davis did the trade, not myself, you know, and everybody think it was me. Was I the one that made the call uh, to Carson? Yeah. But Mark Davis, when he went and watched Carson worked out, he, he goes, we got to have this guy. This guy can help us win games. And so, uh, again, here's another guy that rolled out of the bed that gave us a chance to uh, make the playoffs. We just didn't get it done. Right. I mean, it's it's do you, do you like when you think about stuff like that or you talk about like different moments like that, do you do you have any regrets or any things that you pinpoint that you just say, I wish I could take this back or I got a different move that I would have did at that time period? Oh my gosh, yes. There's so many things that Give me give me give me like give me the top ones that you my just My top one is leaving Cincinnati to go to Cleveland. Okay. <laughs> that was the top one. That's the top one. I mean, I was with a really good football team with a, a, a good quarterback who had won a lot of games, very talented players on offense. Uh, Andrew Whitworth, I hope if I would have stayed, I could have convinced the organization right. to him uh, right. because he was a catalyst for a lot of the things that we were doing. Um, and he was a tremendous player. And um, I thought that. Um, it was the right time for me because I think everybody knows me and Marvin's relationship. Uh, I didn't want Marvin feeling like I was ever undercutting him because our friendship was more important than a job. And right. so at the time there was discussions about me potentially staying. I just didn't feel comfortable with it. I'm very grateful and thankful for the Browns family for extending an opportunity, but I just thought it, it wasn't right. It just didn't feel right. So I made a decision to go on, but I look back at that and what I experienced there was totally different than what, I felt it was going to be like. So uh, I know one thing, we were winning in Cincinnati. And for whatever reason, uh, I could not get that to happen in Cleveland. Don't you think a lot of times, though, and I and I, I know um, this happened to a couple of players that said they left and they came back. Do you feel like sometimes, though, people kind of get, uh, you, you get confident in yourself and then you find yourself in a situation where you're trying to resurrect like a, a, a situation like the Brown situation, and and I believed in you, and I think a lot of people believed in you. Facts. But sometimes, like maybe the people around you just aren't as passionate, or maybe they don't have your best interest, or like what are, what are some of these factors that? Why do you think that you didn't succeed in, in Cleveland? Like well, I thought you would. Thank you, I appreciate that. I'm not gonna dive do a deep dive into that. I just what I would say to anybody is just go look at the roster. You know, and just go look at 2016 and 2017's roster, you know. And when I was winning a winning coach, uh, whether it was in Oakland or in Cincinnati, it's because we had good players at the end right. of the day. Right. I guess the guys that played for me in Cleveland 
But I mean, if you go back and look, Terrell Pryor was my receiver. He had over a thousand yards. Right. I mean, you just you right. just go evaluate it all, and you'll go, "Oh, wait a minute, that is different." So, um, you know, I, I um, again, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Um, a lot of people don't get them. It was my second opportunity, but at the same time, boy, I wish I would have did that different. Right. So you kind of talked about it was kind of like an undercutting thing in Cincinnati with um, Marvin there. They kind of talked about a coaching waiting position. It kind of came out like right before you left that the Bengals kind of offered you a coaching waiting thing. But I also saw somewhere where it wasn't officially in writing or it wasn't an official deal. A lot of the fans, um, mind you, there were two coaches, I would say, in Bengals history that we always wanted to kind of assume that coach waiting position you definitely we all wanted you to take over after marvin and mike zimmer was the coach and waiting thing a legit thing or was it just a story being thrown on no it was legit there's no question it was legit um you were right in some aspects there were some things that didn't get ironed out but more so than that let me and i share this because i've already shared it before when i went to that meeting i watched two men who had great admiration for each other basically lose themselves a bit. I mean, I, to watch two grown men cry about something that may happen two years down the line told me all I needed to know. Right. I, I, I didn't want to break up what was an unbelievable relationship that, as we all know, lasted for 16, 17 years. Right. And there was something really behind that. And I didn't want to be the reason that that was ending. I just didn't feel comfortable as a best friend. Again, I'm going to say it again. Marvin is not just a colleague. He's one of my best right. friends, a mentor. He's somebody I really appreciate. And I didn't want to lose that more so than go have a job. You right. know? So, right. And I've seen that happen with, with men, you know, all of a sudden a man thinks you're doing something behind his back, like you're getting ready for something. And I just, I didn't think that was fair when I had a chance to go get my own job. You right. know? So I look back on that and I, you know, I'm, I wish I had that kind of relationship with an owner. You know, right. and I, I, be, I believe every coach in the National Football League believe they had that kind of relationship with an owner because the relationship they have was very special. Wow. that Yeah, that's some that's some deep stuff because, you know, like uh, people were sending in questions before we even had this and just were like, man, just ask them about like, you know, like the plan that they had in place or whatever. So I guess, yeah, like it was some stuff in place for you or whatever. And it was. There's no doubt that it was. Oh. Oh, I lost him for a oh, second. He'll be back. <laughs> but yeah, we we were in the middle of a good part. I felt like people were, um, you know, like he was just pretty much saying, like, yeah, the plan was in place, but he chose his friendship over like that that actual point right there. And that's a that's a crazy thing because a lot of people wouldn't do that. And then he also was talking about his relationship uh, with Marvin Lewis. Um, I'm sorry, with uh, Mike Brown. Right. And then I guess you know my next question is like, okay, so. I guess it wasn't as strong when it was time for the interview. Yeah, it seemed like it seems to me like uh, Marvin Lewis and Mike Brown had a very strong relationship. It definitely seemed like something that they wanted to work out. Uh, but like he said, in two years. So he knew back then two years it was going to be a transition and a changing of the guard. And yeah, that was definitely going to lead into to the question that we kind of hinted at a little bit. But. I've enjoyed this like so far. Like he was yeah, an amazing this, this, person. 
Um, you know, if, if, if you're in here and you're asking questions, man, make sure you keep them coming because I am going to pop off some of these things because I feel like uh, he feels very relaxed. <laughs> Don't panic. Um, it's organic. Let's do some shout outs to some of the people here in the chat. Right, right, right. If you're listening right now on the pod, so we're doing this live, people. So we had a little bit of a or Hugh accidentally did something. He's lit. And he knocked himself off the internet <laughs> while we're waiting for him to come through. We just want to give you some shout outs. So if you're listening to this on the Orange is the New Black podcast, make sure you keep on tuning in with us. Uh, we got new theme music, which I'm really hype about. I know that's a small thing, but I'm just really, really onto my music stuff. So uh, shout out to Elliot. Shout, shout out to Ryan. Ryan told me the other day, he, you know what he said to me? I thought this was so important. He said, bro, y'all got to show t- uh, uh, Tyler Boy more love. Because yeah, he is now our top 10 wide receiver. So, Hugh, we got yeah. you back. I apologize. I don't know what happened. I don't know if there was. It's all, nah, good. We ha- all good. Nobody nobody went anywhere. Everybody's like, man, we loving it. One thing I wanted to follow up. I don't. I, this was just 20 seconds ago. But you were just talking about the relationship with Marvin Lewis and how it was with Mike Brown. And you wish you had that or, or you wish you had a relationship with an owner like that. Do you think that? You thought that maybe the relationship was stronger when you came back for the interview for the head coaching job for what is currently, you know, the current Bengals, you know, thing now. Did you feel really good going into that interview? I did. I I felt good about it, but I understood what I was fighting too. And I think what their concern was, and I'm not trying to answer for them, just what I heard is just that you take the record in Cleveland, that's hard to sell here in Cincinnati. Right. I get that. You know, I, I do understand that and respect it. But at the same time, everybody knows the history in Cleveland with coaches. Right. It just doesn't work out. So it's hard to judge someone for what they did in Cleveland when it was like it was for Bill Belichick. You know, it's, right. it's just that's just the way it's been. But I do understand that. And um, and they, they made a decision which they thought was right for them. So right. we had to we had to ask you this. I had to ask you this, man. AJ Green and the 2015 receivers or the 2005 receivers with Chad, TJ, like Woo! who are you taking? Who are you taking between those? And he coached both of them. Oh, Marv. You had different roles though. Talk, talk to answer the question first. Ooh, Go ahead. Uh, answer the question first. Can we move on from that? Now? Nah, <laughs> buddy. Let's get it. Chad, TJ, Chris Henry, Kelly Washington. Tad Perry and that group with AJ Green, Marvin Jones, Mo Sanu, Andrew Hawkins, and that group. That's heat. I still got to go with Chad and TJ in that group. Okay. Okay. Those guys, they were different. And what I mean by that is you would have to have been there every day. Those guys had no stock whatsoever. I mean, they took scout team reps. They took whatever reps were available because they just love football. They never got tired. Uh, these receivers nowadays, all of a sudden, they run a couple of routes, they're ready to come out. You know, right. them dudes, I had to pull them out the game. That's how <laughs> important it was to them. And you want guys like that. Not that today's guys, things have just changed a little bit. But at the same time, those guys were warriors, man. They were tremendous players. Do you look – I know you still – you have to still – you said you're itching to get back out there. Do you, I know you follow the current Bengals. How – Coming into the season, one of the things that I've eaten crow on is I told everyone, and I and I, I said, I don't think the team is that great. I think it's a six-win football team. But one thing coming into the season is I said, our wide receiver core 
is top three in the NFL. So far, <laughs> it has not panned out that way. Right. Like when you look at the wide receiver core, do you have like any thoughts on like why maybe they're not, you know, like maybe I don't know. My expectations were really, really high. Like, how do you look at the wide receiver it core? Because you've seen a lot of really good players over the years play for the Bengals at that position. So right. uh, I think that's the right way to feel. But I think uh, <laughs> this season, nobody knew exactly where A.J. Green would be. Um, he still hasn't hit his stride yet. I mean, everybody's looking to see, can he get back to being what he was before? Tyler, Can Boyd, he? I, well, I think he can, but I just think it's how you prepare him and get him ready to do that. You know, right. I just, my relationship with AJ was, I'm going to pull it out of you. You know, I'm going to make you do it. And that's just, that's just the way it was. And he, right. did, but he had talent, you know, he's a very talented player, uh, but you have to push very talented players, as you know. T. Higgins is a young player. I think he looks like Chad to me. He looks like a young Chad Johnson to me when I watch him play. Tyler Boyd is lighting it up. Uh, they need to get John Ross going, you know, because the guy, inactive. Yeah, because there's something that he can bring to the team. You know, the one. But thing, but he's inactive though. I know he has the like, but, but is he inactive because he's injured or not part of? I just don't know. I don't un- understand the inner workings of it. I'm sure. Um, they're going to put the best players out there to give them the best chance to win. So, but again, he's a talented player, and so we drafted him high. So you got to find a way to make it work. And I kind of like it to Darius Hayward Bay that I had in Oakland. You right. know, Hayward Bay was the sixth pick of the draft, and uh, when I got there, wow, yeah. hadn't caught very many balls. My last year with him, he caught sixty-five balls for nine hundred seventy-five yards. So right. you just find a way, and uh, I think that's what they need to do with John Ross. Right. So you, you kind of talked about uh, getting another opportunity in the NFL, and it just seems like it's been an issue with them uh, fixing the minority issue when it comes to getting minority head coaches. What are your thoughts on that, and what are things that they can actually do that aren't really, like, disrespectful or anything to kind of help that issue? It's a problem. I mean, I, nobody can run from that, right? I mean, we all recognize there's only been 18 minority head coaches in the 100-year history of the National Football League. And I'm grateful I've done it twice. And um, that's kind of unheard of. So that tells you that there's a problem. And I think the only way people can fix problems is you have to understand the problem first. And if you go back to the beginning of the league, and I I just got to be very honest, Blacks wasn't thought of in leadership positions. There were no you know, not until 1946, you know, and oh, so no. after that, then we finally got a couple more. I mean, you got to remember, they were trading players for other players that were minorities, you know, and then you think George Telefero, if I'm not mistaken, I know that's his name, but I think he was drafted in 1946. So you're talking about 30 years or whatever that is before you have a black player. The first black coach is 60 or 70 years after that, and it goes on and on and on. So our starting point for minorities is different than our Caucasian brothers. So in my mind, the only way to treat this right, you know, I I made a statement to somebody because they mandated taking the head out of the game, right? Uh, Right. For CTE, which was the right thing to do. The National Football League has always been cutting edge you know, really trying to establish things and they mandated it and they waited for about three or four years and the data told them that they were doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. So my thing is mandate the same thing when it comes to minority coaches. So if there are four positions, you have two Caucasian coaches, two of the minority coaches, let's look back in five years and see where we are. We'll have some that's done really good. We'll have some 
that hasn't done as well. We have some that we're still trying to figure out, but you will have some data to look at and say, okay, this is what, where we need to go now. And I think that's the only way you fix it, in my opinion. I don't think there's any other way to fix it. Yeah, I, I was having a conversation with my friend because he was really strong. And this is just, it's, it's kind of on the same topic, but we were talking about uh, Dwayne Haskins. And I made the comment to him. I said, that's his only chance that he'll ever get at a starting quarterback. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, he's a black quarterback. I mean, like who, you know, like moving forward, like, and I, and I think me saying that kind of caught him off guard. But I just was like, just look at the history and stuff. A lot of coaches only get one shot. Being this, you know, being this color, a lot of quarterbacks only get one shot. We had Jeff Blake on here. He talked about like how he made the Pro Bowl. Then the following year, they they brought his replacement in. So like, I just think there's that side of it. And then the side that you say, when I pose the question too, like on my Instagram and stuff, a lot of people say, "Well, we don't." Uh, a lot of black people said this too. In a um, in a lot of minorities, is uh, uh, other minority groups as well said, you know, well, we don't want any handouts. What do you, you know? Like, so when you say like giving two jobs to Caucasian brothers and two K to our Caucasian brothers and two jobs to, to, to minorities, what do you say to the person that says that, 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 well, that would just be a handout. I don't think they'll think that's a handout. I think they'll think that's fair. You know, I think where the handout part was coming from is when people were talking about the new things that they wanted to implement with the rooming rule, you right. know, and you'll get a job and we'll compensate the team with draft picks. Nobody yeah. wants to do that. You come in already, um, you know, at a lower level than what you what you really go in at. People see you different. People treat you different because they know how and why you got the job. So right. the value just plummets. So you don't want to be in that situation. I totally get that. Uh, we want to get what we earn and earn what we get. That's right. Point. We feel like we can compete with anybody if given opportunity. The problem is we don't get it. The hard part is it's 70% minority players in the league. And it's the total opposite when it comes to coaching. Right. 70% Caucasian league and 30% uh, minority when it comes to coaches. And the right. positions that we coach are normally not positions that lead to bettering your career opportunity later. And that's what's hard. There's, there's two quarterback coaches in all the National Football League today. There's only two GMs in all the National Football League today. There are right. zero owners in the National Football League today. So you can see where the problem stems from, and but go to college football, and it's really the same with more more opportunities. So that's why I say this is a, a real deep rooted problem that people have to really dive into and talk through and come up with real solutions. You know, right. there, there need to be some empathy, a strategy um, session put in place so people can really understand what's going on. For sure, no, that's that's real. I got to ask you, man, Joe Burrow is the hottest topic right now on the streets. What are your thoughts about Joe Burrow? Man, let me coach that song. <laughs> <laughs> Get him. Really? He is everything that he was, and then some. You know? uh, when I watched him, uh, the, his head coach is a good friend of mine, Ed O'Dron at LSU. Uh, we worked together at USC, and he had nothing but great things to say about the young man. But T.J. Hushmanzada worked out with him and Jordan Palmer down in Southern California with T. Higgins and that group. And then to watch him play in the games that he's played, this dude is real. I mean, there is – the guy can throw any football, any pass you need. He's competitive as heck. He, 
extremely bright. You can tell that his football IQ is probably off the chart and he's freaking tough yeah. because he's taken, he's taken a wallop, you know, uh, thus far. And they got to protect him better uh, because he is the franchise. I mean, let's make no bone about that in my mind. And don't get me wrong, Andy Dalton won a lot of games here in Cincinnati and knew how to do it and had a great supporting cast. But this young man is different. Very different. Um, You you talked about him taking a big wallop, right? (laughs) Take his mitts. There is a lot. The narrative, I hate that the narrative gets overran. Like, the line is trash, the line is trash, the line is trash. Like, outside looking in. Could you go to the playoffs with this line? Do you think I know that the line needs work, but do you see him sustaining his success in these first four games? Like, do you see an NFL career? Like, you know, like they they I feel like they neglected the offensive line. Like, I know that that would probably be a point of emphasis. Maybe if you were a head coach, I'm not gonna speak for you, but 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 like how but how bad is the line? That's my question. I'm gonna jump into that. I think we all know that there are some things that need to be better. That and it probably hasn't been the same since Andrew Woodwork left. You know, he was the pro left tackle, and you really had one of those um, in a while. And now Jonah Williams is trying to become that. Not that he can't. Hopefully, he will. Um, But they haven't had uh, the camaraderie up front with a group that you can settle in with and say this group is good. So. My first thought is they got to do everything they can to support Joe. How do I support Joe? Right now, have comparable receivers. We need to make sure that he have comparable protection. You know, so I'm going to do everything I can to find anybody and everybody that can play on the offensive line and protect this guy. Because I think if you do, he has shown, he has demonstrated thus far that if you protect me, I will hit hands for you. I will score points for you. I will win for you. And if you have a quarterback that has that, man, you do everything you can to, to put him in a position where he can win. For sure. That's real. That's real. So I'm going to make it hard on you again, Hugh, but this this may um, bail you out for the statement earlier. Top five Bengals receivers that you coach? Chad, TJ. Oh, well, okay. I'm not – I wouldn't put them in a order. I'm just – Okay. No, no, this is an order. So, no, I'm joking. Oh. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, uh, AJ. That's crazy right there. That alone is just insane. Marvin Jones. Ooh, I like that. And the fifth one for me would be, well, that's a hard one. Because there was a lot of them. Ooh. All right. I, I'm going to say for me, uh, because he was special in my heart, and an unbelievable player was Chris Henry. Yes, sir. Mm. Chris Henry was a real dude. Man. You know, it's another one of my times where I wish I would have stayed, you know, because I I had a way with him that I could get him to do certain things, you know, for whatever the reason was. And then when I left, it just kind of went off the tracks a little bit. So God bless him. Tell us your, uh, if you don't mind, tell us your favorite Chris Henry memory. Do you, do you, do you have a, a favorite story or anything that you would like to share with us? Uh, well, I mean, any time that we were at a game and I could look at a corner and see that Chris could run by him, I was always just throwing him in a game. So I never forget we were in Chicago, and it was Tillman. And uh, Charles Tillman was a corner. And the play before, TJ had ran a particular route 
but I knew I was saying to Brad, we need to go buy this guy. So I put Chris in the game and took TJ out. Lord have mercy. Why did I do that? <laughs> now, TJ was pissed, but Chris was happy. The staff was happy because he ran right by Charles Tillman for a long touchdown pass, you know? And uh, I'll never forget that. And I never get Chris coming up to, to me and saying, thank you for showing me uh, trust, you know, because he knew I had two guys that I really trusted in, Chad and TJ. And here I was trusting him into that mode with those guys because he had something special. The guy could run a go ball. He can run a go route and he can run a post route better than anybody I've ever seen. I mean, he was just phenomenal at those things and we let him do what he did and he was special at it. Man, I can't believe we're talking with the legend Hugh Jackson right now. It's, it's crazy. I want to let you know how much love, who they nation and respect that we have for you. I asked a question the other day. I said, within the last 20 years, Name the best like play caller that the Bengals have ever had, and it was all Hugh Jackson. I was like, nobody like it was Hugh Jackson and it was Jay Gruden, but it's all Hugh Jackson. So I just wanted to let you know how much love that the Bengals fans and Who Day Nation has for you, and how much respect we have for you as well. Well, thank you, and I want you to know I love them back. I it was special for me in Cincinnati, uh, and the players, the fans, the organization, the Browns family, they were great to me and uh i can't think of enough of what they did for me it, it yeah that's crazy um yeah like we talked about a lot of different topics so far already but somebody actually popped up a question since you said you want to let's let's go into some of the fan stuff um i was going to ask the same question but somebody said hugh if you were head coach what would you do to get aj green back mike mcgilly said that I think AJ Green knows me extremely well. I would be on him like fly on that other word. You know, I just, I just the way talk I, to him, fly, call him, my own shit. That's just the way I am with him. Have you, you know talked? Have you reached out to him anytime? Yeah. When's the last time you talked to AJ Green? I don't think that's my place right now. You know, right, my, right, right. There's another staff. He has another leader. I don't ever want to divide anybody. Yeah. Um, I think you know. Again, I just think he's working through it. But I think you got to push him through. it. Now send it, send it, send it through me. I'll call him tonight. <laughs> Green is one of the most talented players in the league, and he just—it's like anything. When you've been off a bike, you get back and you ride, but you're not riding comfortably yet. And right, so right. You know there's some speed bumps, and you got to get over them. And to me, somebody got to push him over those speed bumps and push him right. over them back, so that he can get back to doing what he does. Right, Thanks. man. Thanks. Man, uh, somebody else said. Uh, so here's my question for Hugh. Ryan McKeon said this. Did the team believe in Dalton could take them to the Super Bowl, or did they think that he had to elevate games to compensate him? Pretty much could he win a Super Bowl on his own, I guess. Is that what? We, I don't think he could have won it on his own. I mean, I, I think that's obvious. But I think that year of 2015, when we started 8-0, and we were doing some really good things, and then he breaks his thumb after throwing an interception down at the goal line against the Steelers. I really thought this was going to solidify Andy's legacy at the Bengals because I thought we were going. Right. I really thought we were good enough on offense, defense, and special teams, and especially with him because he understood the system. He had more experience than AJ, so he could see things a little quicker, and uh, he was playing at a very high level when he got here. Right. Like when I when I look at some of the stuff when they lining up, like me and Ace had a, a – it wasn't even a debate – 
But everybody was so used to us agreeing and stuff. So the other day, I'm just saying, you know, before the season, I said it's going to be all on coaching, you know, whatever. Then the season starts up, and I'm like, shoot, these players just going to have to make some plays. And the, But so last week, me and Ace got into it. He's saying, well, the coaching needs to be better. And I'm like, well, there's plays to be made. Play. Uh, there, there are plays that need to be made. From a coaching standpoint, give a, get, draw me up something. Like, you got some creative shit. Like, get, like, 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 I, I just feel like so many people, and I know, I know you don't want to overstep over anybody's toes, but you tell me how you would line them up. Like, tell me, like, 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 I, I can send this stuff to them. Well, I'm gonna text AJ or something. Let me say this. What was hard for me is when I left Cincinnati, it's, I think you guys remember, I was one of the most creative coaches in all of pro football. Fact. For sure. For go, sure. And I can't do what I do. You know, you can only do what you do with the player you have. And right. so um, I think when I look at this team right now, you know, Giovanni Bernard is one of my favorites. Sure. One of my favorites, you know. Um, I don't know. I know Trey Hopkins. He was a, a free agent when, when I was here before. But no. I, know, I know who A.J. Green is. I know what runs in Tyler Boyd, you know. Uh, they have a young tight end I think is very talented, you know. So I think – there's enough stuff there to do Ross. a lot of different things. But, but in order to do that, you got to be comfortable and confident in what you're doing. And the players have to be comfortable and confident in it. And so right. regardless of what that is, whether that's not coach's forte or that's not, you know, where he's cut from, I think he's trying to do the best job that he can uh, to put a winning team out there and get these guys to play well every week. And again, I'm sure right now he's turning up the heat as much as he can to get these players to, to be all they can be. For sure. Um, I was going to read a bunch of questions, but everybody was just like, man, I wish I want Hugh back. Like, if you, I don't know if you see the comments, but they're just like, man, we need Hugh as is an is old coordinator. That's what prompted me to ask that question. Oh, yeah. um, I miss it. I miss – I'll say it again. I miss the, the Bengals fans um, tremendously because they were good to me. And uh, yeah. and hopefully I brought something to the table that they were excited about. And, oh, definitely. That's no question. When I watch this young quarterback, they have the one piece that you better have to win in the National Football League. They right. Uh, he is the right guy at the right time in Cincinnati to do some great things. And if they support him over the next several years, he'll bring a championship here. I truly believe that. Hugh, do you know for the last four years, I would come on here, I would literally like pull my hair out, all this crap for four years preaching quarterback, 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 quarterback. And everybody was like, why don't you just get a line and just do it the old fashioned way? I was like, yeah, that's cool and all. 2020, I need some points on the board. It was a lot of three and outs. I'm like, I just need a guy that's going to move the chains. And God just blessed me with this guy named Joe Burrow. And he came out the sky and he came and he started delivering these footballs. And now, like, you're here to, like, verify all of my teachings. Because every single week I will come on here and I'm talking about, like, we could win a game. And that no shot against Dalton. I'm just like, I like him, but we got to get this going. And, and I just think the quarterback position is just so, so – it's the most important position in all of sports to me. Yeah, and, and like – that I mean, you can see that throughout the National Football League. The teams who quarterbacks are playing at a high level, they're, they're playing well. And the teams that are not, they're not. You know, I mean, right. you, you look what Dak Prescott's going through. You know, he, he just needs a defense. So everybody needs. Right. right. 
I, I, you know, as long as they're not saying he needs an offensive line, then he's got a chance. We right. just need to continue to put as many talented players as we can around Joe Burrow and watch what he does because he's a winner. The thing definitely, I, definitely. Last thing I'll say about him that really drives me about him that I love, it was after uh, the, week be, the week before this game where he's tired of losing. Right. He's not used to losing. And you, you can't, and that's why I think it's so important for the organization, and I'm sure from Mike, Katie, Troy, uh, Duke, all of them, they get it. When you have an alpha male like that and he can't win, that is hard. Right. You know, and if he sees why he can't win, that's even harder because he, he's built to win. He's not built to lose. You know? Right. Nobody's really built to lose. What did you see from that press conference? Because I, me and Ace had a conversation off the thing. I said, man, when he came to this press conference before that week of the Jaguars, I said he didn't guarantee a victory, but it was a fire in his eye that was a little bit different. He was pissed after the game, but what did you see that you that just told you? Like it, it was almost like, yeah, we got to get a win. Like it, definitively, losing anymore. That he was yeah. whoever asked, he had to that week to make sure he got done. Right. That's what he did. And, you know, he, when you have a quarterback like him, it empowers your defense. It empowers your special team because they want to get out of the ball, you know, because they know he's going to go do special things. The throw he made on a corner route to, uh, I think it was to Higgins. T. Higgins, yeah. Was he dropped in there? Dropped right in there. Kind of throws. Right. You see those kind of throws from the great ones. Right. Those kind of throws from the normal, NFL quarterback. They don't make them. They they just can't make those. He right. can't. And we all you guys are all witnessing it, witnessing it in real time. I mean, this is really happening. And that's why it's so important that we protect this guy because you're talking about a 10-year window for this right. guy special for this organization. And they gotta make that happen. So I gotta ask you, Hugh. I feel the same way about this matchup coming in with Joe Burrow taking on the Ravens. Do you think that Joe Burrow can beat the Ravens this weekend? Oh, I think he can beat them. I think they have to have the right plan and the right strategy because, again, they will walk in this game and where they're not as strong at, that's what Baltimore's strong. So how do you negate their strength? You got to find ways to keep Baltimore off of Joe Burrow because they're going to walk into this thing and they're going to make it like we got to get Joe Burrow. I mean – Everybody's got to understand from here on in, the target is not the Bengals. It's Joe Burrow because right. they have to get him stopped because if they don't, it's going to be a problem. All right, that's real. Right. So when we started off this and we're, we're going to come to a close because I want to be I want to be respectful of your time. Um, when we started this off, you mentioned that you're itching to get back out there. Oh, yeah. at, at, at what role like would you be? It, it doesn't matter. I don't, but it has to be the National Football League? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be wherever. You know, coaching is just – That's crazy, though. Leading men is in our blood. You know, when you do it, it's, I've done it. It's what I know. You know, so I want to get back to doing what I do, which is leading men, getting them to follow a vision, believe in it, and make it happen. And because uh, I think I can do it. I think I know how to do it at a high level. I think I can get men to follow me and believe in me and, and uh, produce for me. So – I just need another opportunity to get back on the grass. What it is, I don't know how it's going to unfold. I don't know, but I know it's going to happen. That's for sure. For sure. Definitely. Would you, he should have a job would, right would now. You, would you sure. come back as a, a 
if if the opportunity presented itself, would you come back here as an offensive coordinator? Oh, absolutely. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I know what those what the what the stands felt like when we were doing the thing we were doing, and right. the people screaming and hollering and 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 not leaving because they didn't know what was going to happen. You know, right. and what this is all about. It's a performance business, as we all know, and people like to be feel good about their team and what their team is trying to do. So. No, I, I wouldn't argue. Man. Uh, Ace, do you have anything that you want to close us out with at all? Like, uh, I just want to say thanks, you for taking the time out to come on here, man. You're Like I said, the legend Hugh Jackson, ladies and gentlemen. Smart football mind definitely needs to be employed. So I look forward to seeing that happen in the future, sir. And thank you for joining us tonight for sure. Hey, thank you, man, for the opportunity, first and foremost. I think what you guys, is doing, what you guys are doing for the Bengal fans is outstanding. Uh, keep you. doing what you're doing. Take it to a whole different level. And I'm telling you, get ready because Joe Burrow is going to take this team to a Super Bowl. I'm yes, like, sir. It's in his blood. The guy don't go and win a national championship game and not have that fire in him that burns. There is a fire that burns in his belly. And that's, right. what, and that's what everybody's got to understand. So everybody's got to support him. And when right. that happens, the Bengals will go to a whole different level. Yes, sir. Man, that, ladies and gentlemen, was the great Hugh Jackson. I am, like, praying that he gets an opportunity somewhere so he can make me look very, very smart because I've been, I've been like, you know, like, that's, I just want some crazy, like, formations. I want all of that stuff back in the league. Um, please make sure you guys follow him. Check him out, too. Um, please tell everyone the name of the tequila. Please, everyone that's watching, drink right. responsibly. Um, but Hugh, please let them know the name of the tequila. Brandly under tequila. Uh, we have we have every brand. I hope someday I can get in Ohio. The Ohio liquor laws are really different, really stringent. But we're in Florida, LA, Las Vegas. Check it out. Black hole there. You can have it shipped to you. Uh, and you just said something that's really important. Please drink responsibly, um, especially with this pandemic that's going on. Sure. Stay safe and keep on. Rooting for those Bengals, man. Let's get some wins. Yes, yes sir. sir. That was the Orange is the New Black podcast with my man Hugh Jackson. It's been a beautiful night, beautiful moment. We are, like, really, really, really happy about this. Signing out now, guys. Who they? Who they? What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.